Hello, I'm Paco Alvarez and this is The Backstory from Type Investigations, where we sit down with one of our reporters and ask them to take us behind the scenes of their work. A year ago, Washington's incarcerated population was left to suffer in temperatures above 100 degrees during a record-breaking heat wave. In her most recent investigation for Type, published in partnership with High Country News, Sarah Sachs exposed the chaos and confusion inside state prisons last June using grievances obtained via public records requests and interviews with incarcerated people. In this conversation, we talk about Washington State Prison's grievance process, how she connected with incarcerated sources, and her advice for reporters interested in reporting on conditions inside prisons. So my first question is, what initially drew you to your investigation? Really, it was a conversation between myself and my editor. You know, I had at the time just started my climate justice fellowship at High Country News and was really gunning to do something more investigative. And so I was like, okay, what can I, you know, what can I FOIA? What kind of public records request can I do? What kind of climate justice stories are there out there? What needs to be investigated? And right kind of when I had started, literally weeks before, had been this massive heat wave. And so it was, you know, in Washington, it was what everybody was talking about. And during the heat wave, there had been a pretty small report that had come out from the Office of Corrections Ombuds in uh, Washington State that during the heat wave had gone to one of the one of the Washington state prison complexes and done a report basically being like, well, we found that, you know, actually the temperatures are really high and kind of listed all these things. And there was a glass ceiling that was reached, had reached 125 degrees Fahrenheit and people were covering vents because it was pushing hot air from the ceiling into the rooms. And so there was a bunch of kind of things where I was like, I bet there's more there. And I was talking to my editor and she was like, why don't you see, because I was going to just do a public records request for that complex. And she was like, why don't you just see if it was the same all throughout Washington? And so we did a much larger public records request looking at all of the procedures, you know, whether they had emergency heat plans, we filed for all of the heat grievances that had occurred during that time. And so I basically wrote up this, this big public records request and sent it off and, you know, generally people are supposed to reply within, you know, 20 to 30 days and got pushed out and pushed out. And by the time I finished my uh, fellowship, it hadn't come back yet. And then right as I kind of was transitioning out, I finally got the public records request back in. And that's kind of how I suppose was like the genesis of the story. So, yeah. So the public records request is for the grievances, right? Primarily. Okay. Primarily. And also for kind of supporting documents. Like we asked about you know, whether they had emergency heat plans, we asked about, you know, certain communications. So really it was kind of the grievances, but then also trying to figure out if there are other communications or other documents that, you know, would also give us insight into kind of what was happening during, in the prisons during that time. And, you know, I suppose to kind of give a little bit of context to that, when we got the grievances back or when I got the grievances back, um, you know, I kind of got them back, I printed them out and I sat you know, my floor in my apartment and just kind of spread them out and started to look at them and started to group them by different prisons throughout the state. And a lot of them are quite damning. A lot of them are quite also, you know, you, you kind of read them and you can, you can, it really paints a picture of what it was like for, for people. And you can see that a lot of them were really distressed and anxious, you know, just simply by the grievances alone. So I got them back and kind of immediately was like, this is definitely like we have, you know, something, which I feel like 
as a journalist and as someone who is kind of moving more into investigative journalism, it's like one of the best feelings to be like, yes, like I have a lot of documents that really paint a picture and that are leading me to this larger story that exists. I guess like, what is the grievance process like for people incarcerated in Washington and how did you learn about it? Like the actual process itself? Um, that's actually a good question. How did I learn about it? Part of it was, you know, before I did the public records request, I read a bunch of, you know, the Marshall Project and, you know, the Advocate and prison policies, policy. There's all of these different outlets out there that deal specifically with incarcerated people. So I had read through a bunch of the investigations that had been done and the grievances had come up quite prominently in some of these investigations. And essentially, you know, every prison system around the States has a grievance process that, you know, was mandated uh, in the late nineties at some point. So it exists everywhere. It, It differs from system to system. And in Washington, basically every prison has their own system for grievances, but grievances generally are either emergency or, or normal grievances. And the incarcerated person will get a piece of paper, file a grievance. If it's an emergency grievance, they'll hand it to someone. If it's a non-emergency grievance, they'll maybe put it in a box or, you know, or potentially hand it to a correctional officer. So there's different ways of basically passing off that slip of, you know, A4 paper uh, where you fill in the date and the time and the incident and you have a little box where you can fill in you know what exactly happened and so that grievance uh, makes it to or is supposed to make it to the right person it's an emergency one it makes it to the you know sergeant or manager who's who's on staff who has to deal with that within a certain amount of time if it's a normal grievance uh, then it goes to a resolution officer uh, and effectively is a way for incarcerated people to be able to make sure that their grievances don't just stay in this, you know, small kind of realm of like their, their units, but as able to, to go higher up. And there's also potentially a record of what happened. Your story contains a lot of harrowing accounts from incarcerated people of what it was like during the key wave. How'd you go about developing sources that were incarcerated and did you face any difficulties when communicating with them? Getting the kind of initial contact was a bit, difficult. Basically, the, the there's two main ways of uh, communicating with incarcerated people. One is through uh, an email message system called JPay, where you pay for every message that goes back and forth. It's almost like a mixture between like email and postcards. And you buy stamps, and it's kind of this, this larger process to sign up for it. The other way is through a phone service, GTL, where you can sign up and either have an incarcerated person call you and you know, you can essentially prepay for that. And one of the thing about the grievances is the grievances, they have to include every incarcerated person has a number. And so the grievances all had numbers of the people that were making the grievances. So I effectively, you know, spent a couple of days just sifting through the grievances, figuring out like who had submitted multiple ones, whose grievances were really dire, and then who, which of those people were even had like a JPay account that I could contact. So that was my first line of contact was basically just reaching out in an email and saying, you know, hey, I'm a journalist, I'm writing the story and you wrote this grievance and I'd really like to talk to you about it. And, you know, some people were like, who are you? I don't want to talk, which is obviously completely legitimate. And a lot of people though, the majority were like, I didn't even know that anybody had access to these and was kind of listening. Uh, I'd love to talk. I'd love to tell you my story. You know, this is something that's been going on for a while. And so from there, I then, you know, wrote back and forth to them a couple of times. And then eventually 
with a lot of them, we had phone calls where they would call me and we'd kind of chat about their experience over a series of, of phone calls. And yeah, so it was kind of, you know, that getting that initial contact was a bit difficult, but uh, ultimately, you know, I think for a lot of the folks that I talked to, you know, they, they were extremely interested in getting their stories out. And, you know, I had initially had a little bit of trepidation about whether or not they would want to have their, you know, use their names, et cetera. And, you know, every single person I talked to was like, uh, yes, I, you know, this is an important story. I want you to put it out there. I'm fine having my name next to it. Um, so that process, once the kind of initial trust was developed, was actually relatively easy, although it did kind of shine a light on how frustrating the system, how much control people have over communication, you know, sometimes for seemingly unknown reasons, it would take a week for a message that I sent to a source to go through. And so I would be like, is that source, you know, and sometimes if the source gets put uh, in solitary, they, they can't access their uh, JP account, they can't access phones. And so, you know, with certain people, they would just kind of be off the map for two weeks and then suddenly come back and be like, oh, you know, either I was in solitary or like, I just got your message. I thought you'd forgotten me. And so that whole system, the way it's set up definitely does not facilitate a kind of easy communication. Uh, have you received like any sort of official response since your investigation was published or even a response from like uh, the incarcerated people you talked to? Um, I received uh, some really good responses from the incarcerated people. We sent all of the people we interviewed uh, copies of the print magazine and made sure that they had access to them because also access to, to Wi-Fi and to the internet is sometimes uh, difficult. So I think effectively all of the people we interviewed sent us back uh, an email saying that they had received it and something some of them were extremely you know happy about it and, and wrote kind of nice responses some of them were just like oh i received it this was great thanks for including me so those were kind of the ranges uh, we never received an official response from the washington department of corrections we did follow up with some of the officials that we had that i'd interviewed and you know they confirmed that they had gotten it but uh, as of now there hasn't necessarily been like uh, any kind of yeah official response to it have you, uh, beyond what you wrote about in the story, it's been like, I think exactly a year since the heat wave started. Um, have you, has there been like any like major changes to their like plans since, since the heat wave last year in preparation for any new ones? You know, not that I can tell. And I mean, there has in the sense that, you know, last year during the heat wave, two emergency chillers failed and they have repaired them since it seems like. Uh, there is a process underway to put in AC into one of the women's prisons. Uh, however, that wasn't actually in response to this heat wave. This has been something that's been now three years in the making and just still hasn't finished. Um, I recently got a response back from a reader who, after reading the piece, had sent uh, it to their representative and their representative had reached out to the Washington State Department of Corrections asking for an update uh, about what had happened. And based on their response, you know, I have not, I haven't fact-checked or followed up with the Washington State Department of Correction, but it seems like they were instigating that uh, every state prison next time there's a heat wave was going to have an emergency heat plan. Again, I haven't been able to, to verify that. That literally came in today, the message. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's hard. It's kind of hard to know because I think at the end of the day, it's, we'll see if, if, and that, if and when, I suppose, the next heat wave happens. 
what exactly happens and what will be different. And I think that would be a fascinating follow-up story to see if anything has changed, but it's hard to know kind of in advance without doing another kind of investigative story about that. And uh, my last question is, do you have any advice for reporters interested in reporting on conditions inside prisons? I, yeah, I am. Um, I think one thing is, you know, definitely do it. I, and in reporting the story, you know, I had a moment of, you know, I'm, I'm generally a climate reporter. I report on climate change, environmental degradation, uh, those kind of issues. And in some ways, I, I always had a kind of background knowledge about how bad the conditions at prisons were. But in doing the story and in talking to a lot of the incarcerated people and hearing, you know, hearing their thoughts about the heat wave, but also then just kind of coming to understand that obviously what made this heat wave and what makes climate change so precarious, especially in prisons, is the fact that they are already so vulnerable. They already have such bad, you know, health protocols, they have bad, you know, drinking water standards, that the, the, the actual living conditions themselves are already at a pretty low standard. And so when you layer climate change on top of that, it just makes it, you know, exponentially more worse. And I think, so in, in some ways, you know, my, my suggestions for, for people that are interested in reporting this is, you know, definitely, definitely do. There's a lot of stories out there that I think need to be reported, you know, incarcerated people are, are vulnerable for many reasons, have you know limited access to a lot of information. Uh, it's really helpful to be able to also, you know, some of that communication uh, with incarcerated sources who really do know their rights and do know the law, know what's up and can point you in the right direction about like what to look at. You know, and then there's also sources that, you know, had didn't didn't know that that grievances were even something that other people could search. Uh, so I think my first, yeah, my first piece of advice would be, you know, definitely go out and and see what's out there. I think the second piece of advice is, you know, grievances. I, I do think are a great way to get us get an understanding of what the issue is. Uh, it's relatively easy to, you know, request them uh, with you know specific parameters. So I think grievances are a great way to to both connect with the people who are making the grievances and also figure out like what's even going on. And then, you know, and I, you know, there's, there's a lot of good resources out there by several different um, organizations that have really put together, like what to look for when you're someone on the outside reporting on incarcerated people, how to do it in a way that's like ethically correct. So those things are important to read. And one of the pieces of advice that they put in there, which I cannot emphasize enough is, you know, doing this kind of reporting takes a lot of time and, you know, something as simple as like fact checking a sentence from a person could take a day and could take three weeks. And so building in that kind of buffer and really being patient and recognizing that, you know, people's access to things like telephones and to JPay and all of this is very, is not a given. Uh, I think that that's the kind of third piece of advice is just like having a lot of patience and building in a lot of buffer room uh, for those kind of yeah time constraints. You can read Sarah's article, When the Heat is Unbearable But There's Nowhere to Go, at High Country News or the Type Investigations website. Check our show notes for a link to the article. A transcript of this backstory is available at typeinvestigations.org backstory.